Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus. We are so glad to have you here on this Super Bowl Sunday. So I uh, don't know who you're rooting for. Anyone rooting for the uh, Eagles today, out of curiosity? Okay, one of you. Anyone rooting for the Patriots today? Okay, another one. It's great, fantastic. Uh, so a lot of you don't care, apparently. Maybe you're rooting for the commercials or you're rooting for Justin Timberlake, so that's good, too. But uh, actually, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. I actually got a text message past couple of weeks from a buddy of mine that I think uh, we actually have a sign from God who is going to win the Super Bowl today. So I thought this was pretty cool. I thought I'd share it with you. Got a text from a buddy of mine a couple weeks ago. I don't usually like church signs, uh, but this is one that I thought was pretty good. So check it out. It says, Bible quiz. How many verses in the Bible are about eagles and patriots? Eagles, 33. <laughs> Patriots, zero. So... There you have it. I think it's a sign from God. I think we know what's going to happen, and I'm sure that's what those verses mean, so that's really, really great. But hey, regardless who you're rooting for for the Super Bowl, or if you, if you care or not care, we're just glad you're here, and uh, we're super excited to be together as we're actually continuing together uh, in a series we now started several weeks ago that we've been calling Resolve. And uh, kind of like Clark mentioned just a moment ago, if you're a guest with us here today at the Medina East Campus, if it's your first time here, man, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for being our guest. We hope you feel welcome. Uh, but I do need to let you know, you're kind of you're catching us a little bit in the middle of a conversation that we've been having that really has been all about the very relevant topic of conflict resolution. And of course, this is a very relevant topic, right? One of the things that all of us know is that in the relationships that we face, no, no matter what age or stage of life you're in, uh, conflict is, in, is an inevitability, right? We're going to face conflict in the relationships that we experience in life. And so the question that we're really trying to process through together in this series is, how do we respond to conflict when it arises, and how do we resolve conflict in a healthy way? And honestly, we've been kind of asking, how do we resolve conflict in a way that kind of honors God? And so that's been the conversation that we've been having, and, uh, and quite honestly, we said that this conversation is really important. In fact, it, it might be more important than you might initially realize. And, and the reason is because we said this. We said that unresolved conflict in our lives and or the inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way is actually costing us, right? So, so in other words, we said this. We said that the unresolved conflict that you might be facing right now uh, or, the, or the unhealthy conflict resolution that might be happening in your life right now, we said it's actually costing you. It's costing you. And the Bible would actually look and say it's costing you personally, it's actually costing you relationally, and it's costing you spiritually. It's costing you spiritually. And so, and so there's a lot at stake uh, as it relates to this conversation about conflict resolution. And so because of that, what we're doing is we're actually taking our time throughout this series kind of as a community and as a campus to walk through seven steps to healthy conflict resolution. I'm sorry, eight steps to healthy conflict resolution. So we've been doing walking through these eight steps to healthy conflict resolution. And by the way, these eight steps, if you've been with us, you might remember we didn't come up with these on our own. We didn't kind of make up these steps. They actually come right from the Bible. And actually, more specifically, they come right from Jesus. In fact, uh, all these eight steps that we're looking at come from one teaching that Jesus gave, or uh, some commentators would call it a discourse that Jesus gave where he was teaching about conflict resolution. And the passage that we've been looking at, been studying throughout this series to look at these eight steps is actually found in Matthew chapter 18. And so I actually wanna encourage you, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, let's just jump right back into it, and let's get back to Matthew 18. Okay, let's go back to the passage that we've been studying in this series, Matthew 18. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, um, grab your smartphone, grab your tablet, grab your Bible app, whatever, get to Matthew 18. And then uh, let me just also mention that if you did not bring a Bible with you, you can just grab one of our Bibles, uh, page 688 in those black Bibles that are provided for you in the chairs. And then I'll also just mention, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, we actually really want you to have one. And so you can actually have one of our copies of the Bible, make that a gift from us to you. So Matthew 18, go ahead and get there. And as you're finding Matthew 18, let me just recap a little bit. Okay, so if, you, if you've been with us, you might remember we've been looking at eight steps to healthy conflict resolution. So far, we've looked at three steps. We've covered three steps. So let me just review those. We might remember the first step. We said step one in healthy conflict resolution, according to Jesus, begins here, that we have to first be willing to humble ourselves. It begins in humbling yourself. And basically what we said that week is we said that Jesus revealed to us that humility is the foundation for healthy conflict resolution. In other words, if you wanna resolve the conflict you're in in a healthy way, uh, it's impossible to get anywhere if humility isn't present. 
And so we had a long conversation. We actually spent a whole week talking about that. We said, what does it mean to humble yourself? How do, do you do that? So we kind of talked about that. And then actually, you might remember the next step, we looked at step two. We spent a whole week talking about this idea of removing logs, removing logs, which I know if you weren't here, that might sound so weird to you. Uh, but basically, the idea behind this is we said that it's not enough just for us to recognize that we play a part in the conflict that we're facing. But we said what Jesus actually asks us to do is to own our parts and to do everything that we can, everything possible to make it right. Even if that other party is 98% responsible for the conflict that I'm facing, and I'm only 2% responsible, which by the way is almost never the case, Jesus would say, hey, we need to take full responsibility for our peace. We need to take total ownership and full responsibility to make right our part of the conflict. So we talked about that. That was step two. Then step three, last week, we talked about this idea of the next step in conflict resolution is that we have to be willing to define, or quite honestly, I think in most cases, we need to redefine the win. We need to redefine the win. Before I go and try to seek resolution with a person that I'm experiencing conflict with, I need to first, in my heart, redefine what does it mean to win in this conflict. And here's what we said. We said that for a lot of us, Honestly, the way that we define the win in conflict is we believe that winning means that I win the argument, or it means I win the fight, or I win my rights, or I win my way. We said, but Jesus actually introduces us to a very different win. And Jesus says the true win in conflict is that we need to fight to win the relationship. We need to fight to win our brother, fight to win our sister, fight to win our spouse, fight to win our marriage, fight to win the friendship. We're fighting to win the relationship. And so Jesus spells this out for us, the first three steps. And by the way, I'll just kind of reiterate that uh, we actually spent a week on each one of these steps. And so we obviously went into great detail on that. And I would really encourage you, if you missed any or all of those previous conversations, it would actually be really much, uh, really to your advantage to go back, listen to those, watch those. You can subscribe to our podcast if you'd like to, uh, go to our website. All of that's for free. Uh, and, and like I said, these steps are sequential. They're all sequential. And so I think before you can move on to the next steps, you want to be clear on these previous steps. But today what we want to do, kind of continuing with this conversation, is we actually are hoping to deal with two more steps today. We'll look at step four, and we'll look at step five in healthy conflict resolution. And to do that, we're actually going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to start in verse 15. And so verse 15, Jesus is going to be continuing his teaching on conflict resolution we're going to get kind of into the heart of this passage, and here's what he says. Now, this verse, just going to let you know, we kind of glanced at it a little bit last week. This verse is loaded. It is just loaded, and so we're going to spend a lot of time unpacking this here today, but let's look at what Jesus says. Speaking about conflict resolution, Christ says, if your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, and you have won them over. Okay, so very clear-cut, practical uh, wisdom and instruction from Jesus here on conflict resolution. But like I said, this one verse is packed with, I mean, just incredible wisdom and practicality in how to resolve conflict. Just want you to look at it with me again. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, some of you might have a different translation in front of you. It might say, if your brother or sister sins against you, right? So the idea is, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you have won them over. Like I said, this passage is so packed, I thought what we might do with our time is just really unpack this kind of one phrase at a time. And so let's do that. Let's just start at the top. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins. Now let's just start here, because I actually think that this statement is very clarifying. And it's clarifying for two reasons. Okay, here, here's the first one. And we've actually said this the past couple of weeks, but I think it's really important to say this again. That everything that Jesus is saying about conflict resolution here in Matthew 18 is directly targeted at those who follow Jesus. Okay, so he's, he's actually talking specifically to Christians and the way that Christians should resolve conflict with other Christians. All right, so does that make sense? So he says, if your brother or sister Sin. So when he says brother or sister, what's he talking about? Well, he's not just talking about the family relationship. He's actually talking about those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a spiritual relationship between two 
believers in Christ. And so I guess another way to put it would be to say this, that what we see here is we're seeing Jesus's prescribed method of conflict resolution as it relates to two people who follow Christ. Now, here's why that's important. Okay, the reason it's important is because I understand that maybe not everyone in this room here today does follow Jesus. And so you might be a person that maybe you got invited out by someone or maybe you've been around for a while, but quite honestly, you're not real sure what you think about the whole, the whole Jesus conversation. And the jury's still out and you still have a lot of questions and you're investigating all of that. And if that's the case, I think it's important that you understand that what Jesus is saying here about conflict resolution is directed to those of us who follow Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that there's not practical wisdom that you can apply to every relationship, which we're going to talk about that here in a minute. There is practical wisdom, I think, that you can apply to any relationship. You're going to see that. But you've got to understand that this is specifically for those who follow Christ. This is kind of Jesus' prescribed method of conflict resolution for Christians. Now, here's the other reason that's important. The other reason is because I've actually got, uh, there's been a question. I, throughout the series, I've been getting a lot of questions um, through, through our website, through the Slido website, and also just out in the cafe. And I'm telling you, some of the questions have just been amazing. And I have found, I'm sure you have, that anytime you double click on one particular situation, you'll find that there's a whole bunch of complexity behind it, which kind of makes this conversation difficult to speak about in a general way. But one of the questions that I have gotten uh, several times throughout this series goes something like this. Someone will come up and they'll say, hey, this is a great series. I'm loving where we're going with this. But here's my question. I follow Jesus, right? I'm a Christian, but the person that I'm in conflict with is not. Right? They're not a follower of Christ. So the question is, so does what we see in Matthew 18, Jesus' prescribed method of conflict resolution between Christians, does that apply to this relationship with a person that, follows, that doesn't follow Christ? And my answer to that question has been consistently, well, not exactly. Not exactly. And you're like, what do you mean by that? Well, well here's what I mean. I think, I think this word right here actually helps clarify what I'm talking about. Notice Jesus says, if your brother or sister, that is someone else who follows Christ, for those of us who follow Jesus, if they sin, if they sin, and, and by the way, what's sin? All of us are familiar with the word sin. It's kind of a churchy word, right? But what does it actually mean? Well, sin, here's a baseline definition. Sin is basically any act of rebellion against God's desires or his directives. Okay, it is, it's essentially, I'm not living the way that God wants me to live, right? Now, now, this creates a problem because if I'm in a conflict with a person that doesn't follow Jesus, I cannot hold that person to the same standard that I would hold a person, a person who follows Christ, right? In other words, I can't treat a person who doesn't follow Jesus like they follow Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so for example, if I have a coworker, and let's say that coworker is, is doing something that clearly is in violation from what God wants for them, or, or let's say it's not illegal or anything like that, but they're doing something that clearly is, I can't go to that person, like we're gonna see here in Matthew 18, and sit down with them and say, hey man, I gotta talk to you about what you're doing is a sinful thing, and the Bible says that you shouldn't be doing that, and that breaks God's heart, and you know what, if, if you don't listen to me, then I'm gonna take it to the church, and we're gonna talk. You can't do that, why? Because they don't follow Jesus. They don't claim to follow Jesus. And this, this is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says to Christians, he says, what right do we have judging people outside of the church? And the answer is none. We have none. Why? They don't follow Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. Now, I don't think that that means that there's not practical wisdom for every relationship, whether it's between Christians or between non-Christians or whatever, but I think it's really important that we understand that, right? That it's important that we see that brothers, when a brother or sister sins, that we're talking about Christians confronting each other and conflict resolution within that. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, now I think, I think if we're clear on that, another, another point of clarity that I think is very important, again, it goes back to this word sins. He says, if your brother or sister sins, sins. And this brings up another really good point. In fact, um, one of the questions, uh, like we've been getting some great questions to that Slido website, and one of the questions someone asked a few weeks ago, I thought this was a great question. They said, hey, when we're talking about conflict resolution, like what level of intensity are we talking about where conflict needs to be resolved? Like, like are we talking about like a petty disagreement, like, a, like we have a difference of preference about something? Are we talking about something more severe? Like when does conflict, when do we need to get to this level of conflict resolution? And I think what Jesus says here is really helpful. Notice what he says. He says, if your brother or sister sins, sins. In other words, there's gotta be some gravity 
to this offense. Right? This, ha- this is not a matter of just personal preference or personal annoyance. Right? So this isn't like, a, hey, you know, the way you chew your gum, man, that bothers me. Or, you know, the way you do your hair bugs me. It looks like it's from the 80s. Like, seriously, man. Like, that's not, that, that's not what we're talking about here. This is more weighty than that. This is an offense, a direct offense against our relationship, against another person, against the heart of God. That's what we're talking about if a brother or sister sins. And by the way, if you can get your mind around that, Jesus is saying that there's a certain weightiness and gravity to the offense that warrants this type of resolution. I think that actually points to and alludes to what I think step number four is. And so here's what I believe step four is in conflict resolution. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I would say it's this. Step number four is overlook when possible. Overlook when possible. You might be saying, what do you mean overlook when possible? Here's what I mean. Overlook the offense. Overlook the annoyance. Overlook the frustration, overlook the hurt, overlook the comment when possible. Whenever it's possible, if someone hurts you or offends you or does something that bothers you or annoys you or or contributes to the conflict, whenever it's possible for you to overlook it, that's always the best possibility. If you can overlook an offense. Listen, and here's the thing that I, I think maybe I've seen, you might disagree with me on this, But one of the things I think I've found is that especially in the society that we find ourselves in today, now we have lost the art of overlooking an offense. There is just this general oversensitivity where the capital, like the cardinal sin in our culture is that you offend somebody. Oh, that offends me. That offends me. That you offended me. That offends me. And that's like the big deal. Like you don't offend anybody. And I think we've lost the art of overlooking an offense. I think, honestly, there's an oversensitivity where we're quite honestly, a lot of the times, if we love each other and we're gonna bear in a relationship, what that means is I have to be willing to say, you know what, it's fine, I'll get over it. It's not a big deal. I'll overlook it. In fact, did you know that it is actually commendable by God in the Bible, it is commended when you can do this. When you can overlook an offense, God commends that. But let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me show you some verses. Proverbs 19.11 This is Solomon. He says, a person's wisdom yields patience. See what he says? A wise person is patient. He says, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. God would look and say, it's a great thing when you can overlook an offense. If if someone does something, you're like, you know what? That kind of bothered me. You know what? But whatever. I love you. I care about you. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just going to let it go, right? You know, that kind of of offended, that kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. But you know what? That's fine. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're hangry, right? I don't know, whatever. Maybe you didn't get a lot of sleep last. Whatever, right? It's fine. It's fine. I'm going to overlook it. I'm going to overlook it. And in healthy relationships, I think God would say, yeah, it's to your glory. It's to your glory when you can overlook an offense. How about this one? Ecclesiastes 7.21. Again, this is the wisdom of Solomon. He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. I love this. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. See what he's saying? He's like, listen, man, when, when you hear someone else say something and it kind of offends you or it's a curse against you, or, he's like, listen, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Don't take everything everyone says so seriously. Come on, come on. You know that you've said things you regret. You've done it, so show some grace. All right, okay, I'm just gonna overlook it. Not a big deal. I'm gonna let it go, right? That's the whole thing. How about this one? Ephesians 4, 2. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, which by the way, the word patient is translated literally in some of your Bibles, long-suffering. Suffer long with each other, which some of you are like, that is the best description ever of what it's like to be in the relationship I'm in right now, right? It's long suffering. He says, be willing to suffer a long time with each other, bearing with one another in love. You see what he's saying? Paul's just being real here. He says, listen, man, relationships are messy, right? We are all imperfect. We are all temperamental people. We have different personalities. We all have idiosyncrasies. And if we love each other, if we're committed to being in a loving relationship with each other, we gotta be willing to bear with that. We gotta be willing to overlook it sometimes and just show grace to our humanity, right? We're not gonna be spiritual referees that are going around whistleblowing each other on, no, no, you did that. No, 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 we gotta show grace to each other, man. 
And, and, and he says, we've got to bear with each other. How about this one? Proverbs 12, 16. Fools show their annoyance at once. He says, you know what a fool is like? A fool is like, that annoys me. That annoys me. You annoy me. That annoys me. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. And he's like, that's a foolish person uh, because they're going to destroy every relationship they get connected to. He says, but the wise person, the prudent person knows how to overlook an insult. The prudent person can be like, you know what? Not a big deal. Not a big deal. I'm just going to forget about it. You know what? Let's just get over it for the sake of the relationship. I'm going to overlook when possible. Now, let me just mention on this, by the way, when I say overlook an offense, what I'm not talking about is I'm not, I'm not saying that overlooking an offense is some passive process in which I take my offense and quietly file it away until we get into a fight next time so I can pull it back out again and use it against you. Okay, that's not what I mean. That, that's actually stuffing it or repressing it, right? That's, that's avoiding it, and that's not what I'm talking about. This is actually a very active process. This is an active decision in which you're saying, you know what, I am choosing to forget about it. I am choosing to let it go. I am not going to bring it up again for the sake of our relationship, right? This is basically me saying, I'm, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna forget about it. I'm gonna forget about it. Hey, forget about it, right? Forget about it, and all God's people said, Forget about it, right? Why don't you turn to your neighbor? I know you want to. Turn to your neighbor and go, hey, forget about it, right? You got to add the A, hey, just forget about it, right? And listen, 90% of the time, I think in relationships, we just got to, hey, forget about it. Hey, no big deal, right? I'm just going to overlook. When possible, we overlook it. We overlook it. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, but what if I can't overlook it? What if it's not possible to overlook it? Uh, what, if it, what if this is more serious than that? Well, I think that's when Jesus is gonna say, here's step five, and here's what step five is. Step five is you gotta go to them. So if I can't overlook it, what do I do? You gotta go to them. You gotta go, and you have to have a, obviously you have to humble yourself, you have to remove the log, you have to redefine the win, overlook when possible. But if you get here, man, you gotta go to them. And listen, I know for some of you, that even when I put this up on the screen, you're like, oh, I was afraid you were gonna say that. And man, you gotta understand, I am just not a confrontational person, and I don't, that just makes me feel so uncomfortable, and this whole idea of I gotta go to them, and I actually have to confront the thing, ah, I don't know about that. And listen, let me just tell you, we said this at the very beginning of the series, I said that what Jesus has to say about conflict resolution, I believe it has the power to utterly transform your relationships, and I do believe that but at some places, it's going to be very uncomfortable. And the things that Jesus is gonna ask us to do, I think quite honestly, for some of us, they are very uncomfortable. I think that they're very different than maybe what's been modeled to us. And yet I believe that with each one of these steps, there is incredible wisdom and power from God to heal conflict in your relationships. And quite honestly, this step right here is one of those steps. It's a challenging step but it is a very important step because this is what Jesus says. If your brother or sister sins, this thing's got some gravity. Right? I cannot overlook it. This is a big deal. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go and I gotta have a conversation, which I know um, even when I say that, that probably for some of you begs a really important question. You might even be asking this in your mind right now. And here's the question you might be asking. How do I know it's time to go? How do I know when it is time for me to go and have a conversation. Like, when do I know, where's the line in when I'm supposed to overlook something and when I'm supposed to go and have a conversation with that person? And uh, that's a great question. Let me, let me just see if I can give you some practical considerations. I'll give you four considerations, and I know there's more than that, but hopefully this is helpful. Okay, so, so here's what I would say. How do I know it's time to go? First and foremost, I would say you need to ask God. Pray to God, ask him to help you discern is it time for me to have a conversation or not? Quite honestly, I think that God will help give you clarity on that. If you're willing to ask him, God, I, I need your help. There's this person I'm thinking of, maybe even right now, maybe even through this series, there's this person I'm thinking of, and man, there's this thing that we've, there's this conflict that we've been having, it's been unresolved. Is it time for me to go? Is it time, ask God. Here would be my second consideration. I would say it's probably time to go when bitterness begins to take root in my heart. When I start to see that bitterness is beginning to take root in my heart. You're like, what do you mean about that? Well, well here's what I mean. If, um, if, man, I can't shake it, like it's, it's, it's bothering me. Um, I'm thinking about it. It's putting a wall between our relationship in such a way that 
there is clearly uh, some kind of dissonance in our relationship. We're avoiding each other, right? Uh, I think when you find yourself driving and you're shadow boxing, you guys know what I mean by shadow box? You have a shadow box. It's when you have a secret, a secret argument with someone who's not actually there. Did you ever have this before? So you're driving and you're like, oh, I know what they would say. They would probably say this. And then you're like, and if they said that, I would come back and I would say this. And then they would say this. And I'd be like, oh yeah, but what about that? And then they would say this. And then I would come back and I'd say that. And then everyone in the room would laugh at them and then they'd blow up, right? That's like shadow boxing. You guys ever do that before? Maybe I'm the only one. And, uh, but I think, I think when you get to that place, it might be a good indication it's probably time to go talk to them. Yeah, I don't think I can overlook this one, right? Um, I love, by the way, I love the language of a root of bitterness. It's such a good visual. Um, that, that language, the root of bitterness, actually comes from the book of Hebrews. It's actually biblical language. In the book of Hebrews, uh, it actually says this. It says, do not let uh, bitterness take root in your heart. Don't let it take root in your heart. I thought, what a great picture. Uh, do you, you guys ever try to... Um, dig up a root in your backyard, like you're doing something, you're trying to, you know how frustrating that can be, right? You're just trying to pry that thing up and it's not coming up and, and so you got a shovel and you're trying to like, you're trying to chop at it and it never seems to work the right way and it's thick and you gotta like pull the thing up and eventually you, you get it out, but man, it takes a whole lot of work. Well, I think what, what a great picture for what bitterness is like in our hearts. That's what bitterness is, it's stubborn and man, it gets to work and it chokes out your ability to love and relate to other people and so what do you do on a root of bitterness show? Well, the worst thing you can do is bury it. That's the worst thing you can do is bury it because over time, it's just gonna grow. It's just gonna continue to choke out your ability to love and relate to others in a healthy way. And man, let me just say, for some of us, quite honestly, for some of us, we might be saying, well, you know what? It's not even a big deal. It was a big deal a long time ago and it used to hurt me and it used to bother me, but I buried that thing a long time ago and let me just tell you, it doesn't even bother me anymore. In fact, I'm totally numb to it. I don't even care about them anymore. And I'm like, you think that's better? That ain't better, right? Some of us have gotten real good at burying roots of bitterness in our heart and I'm just telling you, it is costing you because it is choking out, it is strangulating your ability to relate to others in a loving and life-giving way. We've said it in weeks past, but your ability to love and to, to live in a loving way where you can give life to other people and you can relate to others in a healthy way is directly tied to your ability to resolve conflict and remove bitterness from your heart. So what do you do when there's a root of bitterness? Well, you gotta, you gotta chop that thing out and you gotta burn it. And so you gotta go to them. I think it's time to go when bitterness is starting to take root. Here's my third consideration. I think when that person is endangering themselves or another, when by their sinful behavior, they're endangering themselves or another person spiritually, mentally, men mentally physically, so on and so forth, I think it's time to sit down and have it. Remember, this conversation is not just about you. This is also about you loving them. I love you. I love you. And there is a destructive pattern that is in your life. It's, maybe it's, it's not a one-time thing. This is a reoccurring thing that's happening. And I can see it, and it's, it's causing harm to you, spiritually, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's causing harm to others in your life. Everywhere you go, there's a wake of relational shrapnel that you're leaving behind you, and you don't see it. And see, if I love you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down, and I'm gonna have a conversation. I think it's time to go. Time to go when, that, when that's happening. Here's my last consideration. When the offense may be causing serious harm to God's reputation. So this is really for those of us who follow Jesus, but between brothers and sisters in Christ, for those of us who follow Christ, I think that we need to be really committed to helping each other with this. Not out of, again, not out of some judgmental, arrogant, spiritual refereeing, but out of a heart of love and care for one another, that if a person is living in persistent sin that is directly against what God teaches and it's costing God's reputation, that God would look and say, man, out of love for that person, uh, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to have a conversation. And so he says, if your brother or sister sins, you need to go to them. You need to go to them. Now, real quick, also, I wanted just to mention on this. Notice, I want you to notice when Jesus says go, who is the onus of initiative placed on, right? Who, who initiates this conversation? Tell me, who is it? It's me, it's you. For those of us who follow Jesus, he says the initiative is placed on us. We're the ones who go. 
We need to go. We need to be the ones that have the conversation. And listen, I would actually even add to this, not that I can add to the words of Jesus, which I, I'm not trying to do, but there's actually another passage I want to show you here in a second that, that I think kind of clarifies this. I would actually add, go and go quickly. Go quickly. Go quickly. You're like, uh, well, how quickly exactly? Well, how about this? Um, how about not months or weeks? How about days and hours quickly? Once you, once you realize this is something that cannot be overlooked, I think you gotta go now. I think you gotta go quick. I think you gotta resolve it fast. And you're like, well, where are you getting that from? Where are you getting that from? Well, let me just show you. I wanna show you another passage from Jesus on conflict resolution. We actually looked at this passage the first week together, but I didn't have a chance to, um, to show you something I think is really, really, really important. And I wanna show that to you. So in Matthew chapter five, this is Jesus talking about conflict resolution during one of his most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. I know, let me just say on this, this passage real quick, it might be a familiar passage to some of you. It is hard for me to overstate and I think it's hard for us to appreciate, at least at first read, the intensity and the absurdity of what Jesus is saying here. You're like, you're like, what do you mean? Well, let me explain it this way. So remember what I said, this is actually during a sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. Now the place where Jesus gave this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount was called the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so Jesus gave this sermon at a place called the Sea of Galilee to a Jewish audience. Now when Jesus would have said this, when he, when he said, if you're offering your gift at the altar, everyone in his audience would have known exactly what he was talking about because Back in this time, it was actually uh, required by law that once a year, every Jewish person would go to the altar. There was actually only one altar. It was in Jerusalem. So once a year, every Jewish person would have to take a pilgrimage on the Day of Atonement down to Jerusalem to offer a gift to God. That this was a once a year offering that every Jewish person was required to do. That's what Jesus is referring to here. Now, here's why this is so absurd. And I want you to catch this, all right? So Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount at the Sea of Galilee. This is where he was, talking to a group of people. Now, the place he was referring to, the altar, was down here in Jerusalem. Now, just to give you some sense of scale, this is about 80 miles away, all right? So I want you to think about this for a minute. Every Jewish person back in this time, once a year, what they would do is they would pack up their kids, they'd pack up their family, they would leave work, they would leave their jobs, they would leave their homes, and they would take a pilgrimage, an 80-mile pilgrimage down to Jerusalem, right? That is like walking, because they would walk this, that would be like walking from Medina up to Sandusky, all right? Now, can you imagine how much the kids would have complained? Imagine this, right? So they would do this whole pilgrimage and they would go down to Jerusalem and once a year they would give an offering. Now watch what Jesus says. This is absurd. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we know what that's like. You walk all the way down there and it's crazy and the kids are complaining. And on top of that, can you imagine once a year all the Jews in that region come together? Can you imagine the lines? Imagine the lines? It's like, so you've waited in line for like 10 hours after walking 80 miles. And then Jesus says, and let's say that it's your turn. You're at the altar, man. You're up. And then you remember, oh, I remember. Someone has something against you. Notice, he doesn't even say you have something against someone else. No, they have something against you. Do you notice what Jesus says? Leave your gift. Leave. And, okay, well, where do I go? He says, leave it at the altar, and then go and be reconciled to them. Well, where are they? Well, probably back home, up at the Sea of Galilee. He's like, so go, 80 miles walk back from Sandusky to Medina, make it right, and then come on back. And, and you see the intensity and absurdity of what, what, what's the point he's making? Here, here's the point. This conversation is very important to God. And Jesus is actually eliminating every possible objection we have to having this conversation. Let's just be honest. For some of us, when I, even when I said, you're gonna need to go to him, you're gonna need to go to him, you're like, mm -mm, nope. And there's all kinds of objections, right? And what are the objections? Well, it's just gonna be so awkward and it's gonna be so inconvenient. Okay, well, here is maybe one of the most inconvenient scenes in the entire Bible. And Jesus says, you need to go to him. You're like, yeah, but I don't even have a problem with them. They got the problem with me. Right, 
The initiative is on you. Jesus says, this is so important to me. This is so important. You gotta go to him. You gotta go to him. You gotta have the conversation. My guess is some of you are like, okay, man, I hear what you're saying. This is challenging. This is hard. I gotta have a, okay, I gotta go to him. I gotta, but what do I say when I get there? What am I supposed to do in this conversation? Well, actually, Jesus says, look at this. If your brother or sister sins, go, he says, and point out their fault. Here's what you do. You point out their fault. Some of your translations say, show them their fault. What's he talking about? Well, I think here's what Jesus is saying. When we go to this person, we're not being vague. We're not being general. We're being specific. Hey, man, when you said, when you did, we're showing them. We're showing them. We're showing them. And by the way, notice he doesn't say, when you go to this person, question their motives. It's not what he says. He doesn't say, when you go to this person, assume their intentions. See, because here's the thing. You and I can't do that. I can't, I can't assume your intentions. I can't assume your motivations because I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. So notice, he doesn't say assume their intentions. He says, when you go to them, you point it out. You show them. Give them specific examples of what happened or what they said. So I can't come to you and be like, hey, hey, when you did that thing, you did that just because you were trying to get under my skin. I know that's why you were doing that. Well, actually, no, in fact, I don't know why you were doing that. But what I can do is I can show you. I can tell you. Here's what happened. Here's what was said. Here was the effect. In fact, can I give you, I want to give you one statement I think every single person should adopt when, when in conflict. And I'll just tell you, this little statement or, so, or some rendition of this statement has been so helpful uh, to me in my relationships. And quite honestly, it's, it, it's, been, it, uh, it's been really helpful in my marriage, especially early on. But here, here's the statement. In fact, you can write it down if you want to. I think it's a great little statement. Um, I might be wrong. It's a great way to start. I might be wrong. But when you did X, a very specific when you did X, when you said X, it felt like Y. It seemed like Y. You see, what I'm doing here is I'm not assuming your intentions. That's not what I'm doing. But what I am doing is I'm being specific and I'm showing you. So I'll give you an example. Hey, man, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, I, this is a little, I know it's a little awkward, but um, man, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But do you remember when we were, we were all hanging out the other day and you said that thing about me, uh, and everyone laughed. Remember that? Yeah. Um, man, I might be wrong, but it really seemed like, really felt like uh, you were belittling me in front of those people, kind of betraying something I told you in confidence. And, um, and man, I just got to be honest with you, it, it really hurt me. It really hurt. And I've been trying to let it go, and I've, you know, I value our relationship so much that I wanted to bring it up. I just wanted to talk about it between the two of us. I just wanted to bring that to your attention, right? So, so what I'm doing, I'm, being, I'm showing it to you. I'm showing you this is what happened. I'm being specific, but I'm not saying, and the reason you said that is because you hate me. I'm like, well, I don't know that. But here's what I can say. I can say it really seemed like, it really felt like, hey, um, when, when, when I, I saw you do this, and I might be wrong, I might be wrong, but it really seemed like this is what was happening. It really seemed like this. So I'm pointing it out. I'm showing you, I'm showing you. Now, let me, let me just mention on this, on this point, by the way, when Jesus says that we're to point out their fault, I think, it, I think it's worth mentioning um, that if you are the person who is having your fault shown to you, all right, so I think this is super important. If you are on the receiving end of this conversation, I think honestly one of the best things we can do is reward the person by listening to them. I mean, I think this is so, so, so important because if, if you're anything like me, and this might just be me, my knee-jerk reaction when someone is pointing out my fault is I get defensive, I wanna justify myself, and I wanna start throwing punches back, right? They're like, you did this thing and it seemed like this. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, you're ugly, so what about that, right? And like, I just wanna come back and, and I'm like, listen, man, one of the best things you can do is reward them by listening to them with a spirit of humility to listen. Because listen, here's the thing. You have to remember that if someone loves you enough to sit down and have this conversation with you, man, that's hard for them. I, don't, I have not met one person who's like, I love 
conflict. I love confrontation. It's my favorite. I just love pointing out people's faults and telling them hard things. And you're like, well, you don't know my father-in-law because that's all that he does. But I'm just saying, I haven't met anyone like that. And maybe there are people like that that are out there, but I think by and large, most people dread having a conversation like this. They just dread it. They don't want to have it. So one of the best things you can do is reward them. And how do you reward them? By listening, asking questions. Thanking, hey, you know what, can I just say thank you so much that you value our relationship enough that you'd be willing to say something to me that's maybe hard to hear. I know that took guts on your part. And you know what? You're right. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Right? Or, may, or maybe it's something like this. Maybe you say, man, you know what? I, let me just tell you that I so value that you were bold enough to come and bring that to my attention can I just tell you that from my heart, I, that, I, that was not my intention at all. That was not my intention. But, but you know what? I, I love the fact that you cared enough about our relationship that if there was something you felt like was between us, that you would come and bring it up. And in fact, is there something in the way I responded to you that would, that would make you feel that way? Because man, the last thing I wanna do is hurt our relationship, right? This is humility, and you reward the person by listening to them in these things. Because here's the thing I think everyone in this room, I think we all know this, everyone in this room knows this, that, that, that if you really, really, really love somebody, and if, if they really, really love you, and if you really are committed to their good, and you really are committed to theirs, at some point, you're gonna have to do this. If I really love you, and I'm really committed to your best, at some point, I'm gonna have to be willing to tell you something tough, something difficult, something Hard. In fact, I think if I asked you, if I asked everyone in this room, I said, hey, tell me, what is like the number one characteristic of a great friend? What makes a great friend? I think we all would say the same thing. We'd say a great friend is someone who will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. That's a good friend. A good friend's going to tell you you got broccoli in your teeth or, you know, your breast stinks. You got a booger hanging out of your nose. Like, that's a good friend. They're going to tell you things that are hard to hear. Why? Because they're so committed to, their, to your good that they don't care about how it affects their reputation. They just love you so much. They're going to tell you that. That's a good friend. And listen, I think that's the case here too. If I really love you, if you really love me, we have to be so committed to our good that we're willing to say sometimes hurtful things, not harmful things. There's a big difference between hurtful and harmful but I'm willing to say certain things that might be challenging to you because I'm committed to your good. In fact, I would honestly say, I think some of the reasons that we, myself included, don't have these conversations is because we love ourselves more than we love that person. We love being liked and we don't wanna risk our reputation for the sake of another person's good. And I think Jesus would say, no, we need, we need, to, we need to love them enough be so committed to them that we're willing to sit down and point at this. And this is why in the book of Proverbs, I love it, the, Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, wounds from a friend can be trusted more than kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Why? Because a friend loves you. A friend is willing to tell you something hard for you to hear because they're so committed to your good. So Jesus says, we go, we go, we point out their fault, and then I love this next part. This last part is so, so good. He says, just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. And man, I just gotta tell you, this right here, this right here is worth the whole conversation today. I, I think regardless if you're a Christ follower or not or whatever, this is just wisdom from God. That whenever you find yourself in a conflict with another person, the best thing that you can do is go and talk to them about it first just between the two of you. Man, I can just tell you, and you could probably tell me, I think so much conflict, so much unnecessary drama and, 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 and just you know, stretching it out over a period of time could be eliminated if this would happen. Just between the two of you. Just, just go to them and have a conversation with them. And here's why I think this is so powerful and so wise, because this is so counterintuitive. I think for so many of us, our knee-jerk reaction is that when someone hurts us or offends us, our knee-jerk reaction is to go and talk to everybody else but them about it. And so I'm going to go talk to this person and vent to this person about it. I'm going to talk to my mama on the phone about it. I'm going to blast it on social media, and I'm going to go put it on the prayer request chain for the church to see. You know, please pray for Johnny. He's a big jerk, and he hurt my feelings. This is what we did in Jesus' name, amen, right? And we just like, and we'll blast it out, man. We'll talk to everybody about it. And, 
And listen, here's the thing, and you know this and I know this, that when we start to slip into gossiping, we start to slip into slandering another person's reputation, causing other people to think ill of another person, that is like throwing gasoline on a fire. It only makes the conflict worse. And I think all of us understand this. Gossip and slander are so destructive. So destructive. I have seen friendships destroyed because of gossip and slander. I'm sure you have too. I've seen families destroyed because of gossip and slander. I've seen churches destroyed, split because of this garbage. I've seen the same thing in life groups. And listen, he says, Jesus says, just between the two of you, just the two of you, deal with it in that sphere of relationship. Keep it between the two of you. And listen, here's the thing I would add to that. I think for those of us who follow Christ, not only do we need to be, honestly, I think we need to fight pretty hard against the natural tendencies of gossip and slander, which let's be honest, all of us have a natural proclivity towards that. I think we have to fight against it hard. But I think here's the other thing. I think we have to help each other. I think we gotta help each other. And so here's what I mean. If you find yourself in a conversation with another person and you feel like, uh... They're starting to say some stuff about another person that is really crossing the line. And man, I think we, I think we might be flirting with gossip and, sl- and maybe slanderous things. I, I think one of the best things you can do, listen, with all of, the, don't be a jerk, but with all the humility and gentleness that you have, I think it'd be a great thing for you to say, hey, you know what? Can I just stop you there for a minute? And uh, I know that what you're saying must be really painful and really hurtful. I can tell that it's upsetting you. Have you talked to that person about it? No, I haven't talked to them about it, but I, don't, I, I just don't feel, I don't like confrontation. I don't know if they're gonna listen to me. I don't think it's a good thing for me to do. Okay, I, I hear you. I know it's hard, but I really wanna encourage you. This seems like it's bothering you, and I think, honestly, one of the best things you can go is sit down and talk to them about it. I could just tell you so many times when I have sat down and talked to someone one-on-one, so much of the conflict goes away. I would encourage you to do that. If they're a follower of Jesus, show them Matthew 18. And this is what Jesus says we should do, and I want to help you do like, like, Don't be a jerk about it. Don't be like, well, you're gossiping, and I'm going to confront you on that now. Like, don't be like that, but be loving with it, you know? We've got to help each other, because here's, here's the truth. Let's just be honest. The reason that we all like to gossip is because it's fun. It is fun. Proverbs says, I love, Solomon is so wise. You know what he says about gossip? He says, like, go, he says gossip is like choice morsels, tasty morsels. Isn't that a good, isn't that a good image? He's like, oh, mm, this is wonderful. Oh, that's really good. Oh, did you hear about Susie? Oh, no, I didn't, but I want to. Oh, did you hear about, oh, my, it's like a, it's a tasty morsel. Like, that's gossip. And we like it. And, and, but it's destructive and it's poisonous and it tastes good going down, but it will absolutely destroy you. And so we have to fight against it. And so that's why Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, you go to them, you show them just between the two of you just between the two of you. And then I love how he ends it. And if they listen to you, if they listen to you, he says, you've won them over. And I love that because you hear what Jesus just said. He says, hey, if you go and you have this conversation and you guys are able to talk it out, the conflict is resolved. It's done. It's over. The conflict has been resolved. And can I just tell you that I have found that a large percent of conflict becomes resolved when this step takes place. What, what, what I think that, that so many times this, com- this hard conversation, if you can just get two people to sit down at a table together and talk about it, my gosh, it is amazing the power and the wisdom of God. I can just tell you in my own life, I have seen the power and the wisdom of God in these types of conversations. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of others. I thank God for people who have loved me enough and cared about me enough that they were willing to tell me things that weren't easy to hear. And I'll tell you, I have seen God use those conversations not just to strengthen each other, but also to strengthen the bond of that relationship. It gives an opportunity for Christlikeness, for love and forgiveness, and actually for a stronger relationship. It's an opportunity a lot of times to build a stronger relationship. And so conflict, if dealt with well, can actually strengthen a relationship. Quite honestly, I know for some of us, this is a very foreign idea. Maybe this is really challenging you. Maybe this is so opposite of the model that you've been given growing up. But I think that in this, you see the power and you see the wisdom of God. Now, does it always end this well? No, unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. 
And that's why you have to move on to a couple of the other steps, which we're going to be looking at a little bit next week. But I think for this week, it's important just to, just, to, just to take some time and to process through what Jesus is saying here. This is clear instruction from Christ. I think it's really easy to understand, but it's not easy to do. It's not easy to put into practice. And so what I want to do right now is I actually want to ask the band to come up. And as they settle in, um, I actually want to close in a word of prayer but I want to pray specifically maybe for some of you who are here today. And maybe today, throughout the course of this conversation, or maybe throughout the course of this series, maybe God has been stirring in your heart that there is a person that you need to go and have a conversation with. Maybe you have humbled yourself. Maybe you have removed the log. Maybe you have redefined the wind. Maybe you've tried to overlook it, and quite honestly, you're at a place where right now God has put it on your heart that there is a person, that there's a conversation, that you need to go to them. You need to go to them. And can I just tell you, I just want to affirm to you that if the Holy Spirit is bringing that person to your, to your mind and he is convicting you to go talk to them, that I want to encourage you, go to them and go quickly. Go and have that conversation. I think, I think that... Um, you might be one faith step away from experiencing the peace that God desires for you in the conflict that you're facing. And so I know that that takes courage. I know that takes boldness. I know for some of you, this might be so different from anything that you've ever done before. But I would just encourage you, if God is leading you this way, that, that maybe you take action and uh, have that conversation. So let me pray specifically for you as we close together. Well, Jesus, I just wanna... Uh, Say thank you, first and foremost, for your words to us, God. You, you've given us clear instruction uh, of how to interact in conflict. And the reality is, God, that uh, we need it. Because if we were left to our own devices, if we were just to invent the way that we should resolve conflict, we would do the exact opposite of what you said. But there's such wisdom, God, that comes from you. And uh, I thank you that you've given us this wisdom. And, and Jesus, I know that you want nothing more than for us to have peace peace in our relationships and peace with you and peace with each other. And uh, God, this is a pathway to that kind of peace and it's not an easy one. In some places, it's really challenging. And so I wanna pray specifically for the person in this room, God, who maybe uh, you are drawing to their attention that there is a conversation that needs to be had. And if that's the case, would you give them the wisdom, God, to know what's right and would you give them the courage to do it? Give them the courage to, to actually step out in faith and trust you to see your wisdom at play, God. I know it takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of faith, and uh, God, quite honestly, it takes a lot of wisdom. And so I pray you would give that person what they need to do that, Father. Ultimately, God, we just wanna say thank you because everything that you've asked us to do is a reflection of what you first done for us. And Jesus, I think about how you resolved our conflict with you. you know, every single one of us has sin had sinned against you, every single one of us. And yet you loved us enough that you initiated, Jesus, you came to us and then you confronted our sin. And you loved us enough to restore us back to a right relationship. You humbled yourself and you came to us and you loved us enough. And so God, because of that, we wanna model ourselves after your example. Pattern, patterning ourselves after Christ, I pray, Jesus, that you would give us uh, the power and give us the strength to be able to Love people enough, love others enough to have a conversation like this. So give us what we need. I pray that we'd be blessed for having heard what we heard today and that we would live differently as a result of it. And we just wanna ask these things in Christ's name, amen.